Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, everyone. And we just pray as we, as we start this. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true, that it's sharp, that it has the power by your spirit to change our lives, to shape us um, into more of the image of Christ. We pray, Lord, that above all else, as we, as we send my family, as we do all sorts of things this morning, we pray fervently that you would make yourself known to your people and that you would shape us accordingly. Be with me now, Lord, as I seek to share from your word. Amen. Amen. I think it would be an understatement to say that CEC has been an encouraging and helpful church to my family. And when we came here um, seven years ago, we were two members of our family short, uh, less, um, and uh, we've grown uh, as a, in that sense. Um, and we've adopted two children, as you know. I do believe without your help, we would not have been able to do that. So thank you so much for supporting us, bringing us meals, um, loving us, and putting up with the chaos of our family and all sorts of stuff like that. Without you, I genuinely believe we wouldn't have been in a position to, to give homes to Josephine and Caspian. So thank you for that. Also, when, when we came, um, Emily and I um, had a passion for Jesus and a love for God's word, but it was, it was very blunt and we felt like blunt instruments, and that through being a part of this church, through being loved by you, being encouraged by you, um, and being sent off to study by you, um, the Lord has sharpened us and helped us to grow in our faith, to bring us to a point where we can do this thing that we're about to do. We wanted to do this for years, but we were never ready before. We feel like the Lord has prepared us through you for this thing, which is just awesome. So, so thank you for that. And we thank you as well, those of you that have taught our children, that have prayed for our children, and taught them the word faithfully week after week. We thank you, because our children know more about the Bible at their age than we did at their age, and we're grateful to this church, and we love you genuinely. Thank you. Um, you might think, well, why then, if, if, if I'm so grateful and, and fantastic, I think you're, we're an, you're an awesome church, and you are an awesome church. We love being a part of it. Why have I picked a passage like this to share with you? Well, well, the reason is because I don't ever want to see you become a church like this. That's the reason. I've just got a few simple points to share with you this morning from this passage in, in, in Revelation. And, and basically, they're, they're, they come from study of this word, but also reflections upon things that we've seen um, on our study in the Church of Sweden, and we've seen how the gospel, churches that used to love the gospel no longer loving the gospel, churches that used to thrive on taking the gospel to the nations no longer taking the gospel to the nations. We, as we've seen a church that was the strongest evangelical church in the world just a hundred years ago, now being the weakest evangelical church in the world, there are great warnings to hear from that church. And, and I want to share those warnings with you because we all need to hear them but also because I need to hear them. As, as, as we as a family go into this context, we need to be reminded that unless we cling to Jesus, we too could shipwreck our faith. And it's so important that we hear these warnings. So let, let's have a look. The first warning really isn't based on any specific thing in this text, but it's more something that comes as you read the, the letters to the churches in Revelation, and it's this. Good churches can lose the gospel quickly. Good churches can lose the gospel quickly. Um, Revelation should be a shock to us in these first few chapters because we've got, we have seven 
letters that are written to seven churches, written by Jesus, and most of them bring strong rebuke. And this one brings an incredibly strong rebuke at the end. A lukewarm church that God wants to spit out of his mouth. And we think, oh, terrible church. How long have they been that bad? Well, think about it for a second. You know, Jesus was crucified in around 33 AD. Um, Colossians was written by Paul in around 50 AD. And the church of Laodicea were mentioned in that letter. So in around 50 AD, the church of Laodicea were doing quite well. And Revelation is written um, somewhere between 60-odd AD to 90 AD, depending on, on, on your view. I, I probably have an earlier, under, uh, I think it was written earlier, so I'd probably place it before 70 AD. We can debate that. But the point is, the church in Laodicea has, has been taught by Paul. They've received letters from Paul. They've gone great guns for the gospel at one point. And 20 to 30 years later, one generation later, Jesus is about to spit that church out of his mouth. Isn't that shocking? Isn't that utterly shocking? And the reality is that that shouldn't shock us as we read the Bible. I mean, isn't that the way that God's people are always portrayed through the Bible? Fickle. We have a faithful God who will bring us out of slavery and he'll, he'll lead us in the wilderness and he'll, he'll make water come out of rocks for us. He'll, he'll make quail fall out of the sky for us to eat. Bread from heaven. And then the next day, God's people will do what? They'll grumble and complain and forget. And it, that, that's not just in the Old Testament. That happens right through. God's people are fickle. We easily forget the favor and grace of God. So it shouldn't surprise us when we come into, into the New Testament, we see similar things happening. Churches that used to thrive on telling people about Jesus, forgetting the faithfulness of God and becoming unfaithful people. So we shouldn't be surprised that good churches can lose the gospel quickly. But we are. And we probably look around at our church, we look around at CEC, we look at each other, we think, that could never happen to us. And I'm not saying this because I think it will. Don't misunderstand me. This isn't a prophecy or anything like that. I'm just saying we should never take it for granted that what we are holding on to now, the next generation will be holding on to. We have a responsibility to make sure the next generation is holding on to the gospel. So let me ask you a question. What are you doing to make sure the next generation is holding on to the gospel? Because if you're not worrying about that for yourself, for your children, for this nation, for the world, then very likely your children will not grow up to love Jesus in the way that you do. That's true. Those of you that are Christians, you were brought up in a Christian family, do you love and teach Jesus to your children as faithfully as your parents did to you? Do you? If you don't, then the likelihood is your children will do the same. And they won't teach their children as well as you have taught them. I mean, it's serious. Maybe you're a Christian, a new Christian. You weren't brought up in a Christian family and it was the zeal of other Christians who talked to you about Jesus passionately, prayed for you for years and you came to faith. And you're here today because of their faith and their labor, of course, through Jesus' grace. Well, do you have the same ounce of zeal and passion that they had to share the gospel with you? Do you have that zeal to share it with others? 
If you don't, then there's a danger that we could become like the church of Laodicea in a few years. Isn't that sobering? That is sobering. Earlier on I said that, that Sweden is now the weakest evangelical church in the world. Since the 70s, that's been the case. But it, the problem didn't begin in the 70s. When Emily and I went and visited Sweden and we traveled around Sweden and we met evangelical pastors who were holding on to the gospel there, the few of them that there are, um, one of them, I'm a guy who's church planting in Stockholm, told me that when his parents, um, were, they, they, were, were, when he was younger in the, in the household, he used to open the Bible. And um, his family in their, in their big evangelical church were the weird family because they opened the Bible every day to read it. They read it before they ate meals. They were in an evangelical church and they were considered weird for reading the Bible to their children. Is it weird for us to open our Bibles and read it with our children? If that's the case, we are in serious trouble. So we shouldn't take it for granted that good churches can lose the gospel quickly. How on earth the churches get like, how, what goes on in the hearts of, of, of Christians that that might eventually happen? Why do those things happen? Well, there's lots of examples as you read through the seven letters, but, but here in the church of Laodicea, there are, there's one killer thing which I think is incredibly relevant to us, to me, and to the nation of Sweden. And I want to, I, I, that's one of the reasons why I picked this this morning. And there's one hopeful challenging cure. Well, the, the problem is, is, is this. Well, let me teach you a Swedish word. I'm going to teach you some Swedish now. Can you all say lagom? Lagom. Lagom. Well done. Well, it sounds like the Swedish chef daff. You happy with that? Lagom is, is one of the most essential words in the Swedish language. It's one of the, it's one of the most fundamental things about their culture. And basically it means um, not too much, not too little. Get your life in balance. Sounds quite good, doesn't it? So, I mean, there, there are good ways in which that word it works out in its culture. It works out in every single part of their culture. Their family life, their work life, um, their, their exercise life, their eating habits, and everything you can imagine. It, you know, it's a good thing for, for the environment, for example, to say not too much, not too little. You know, to, to, to think carefully about how much we take out of the environment. And as you know, Sweden and Greta Thunberg, they're very passionate about looking after the environment because they want to be log on with how they look, use the resources of the world. That's a good thing, right? However, when log on invades a church, it kills it. Log on will kill faith. And that's what's happened in this church. Log on kills faith churches. Let's have a read just a couple of verses here. Verse 14. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of all creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish you were either one or the other, but because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. They are a lukewarm church, a lukewarm church, a largom church. But what does a, a lukewarm church look like? Well, they're neither hot nor cold. Think about it, what does that mean? Well, it means it's not that they don't believe the gospel. It means that they just don't believe they need to share it or they don't personally need it as much as the next person. It means it's not that they um, don't believe that the Bible is true. It's just that they, they, they don't want to take it too seriously. 
They believe it's true, but you know, let, let's just hold off that, that really harsh, heavy stuff. It's not that they, they, they don't believe church is important, they believe church is really important. I mean, Sweden, they love church buildings. They, they look after them, they're the most beautiful things in the country. But they just don't believe they need to go there anymore. It's not that they don't believe in the power of prayer. They just don't think they need to pray as often as they used to. They believe those things. They're not cold, but they're not going to the prayer meetings. They're not reading the Bible. They're not telling people about Jesus because they're not hot. They're lukewarm. They're somewhere in the middle. They are largom about their faith. They don't want too little, but they don't want too much either. You know, of all of the passages in the Bible, I think this passage sums up the evangelical church of Sweden generally the best. But the danger, to think about this, isn't, as I said those things, isn't there a danger in your heart and in my heart that actually that's the kind of church we want? Think about it for a second. You know, it's not that... Isn't that the kind of church you want to be a part of? You know, we, we want a church that, that meets every week. We want to make sure we have two services every week. We want to keep those two, two services going. But we don't want to go to both of them. We don't want to feel guilty when we don't turn up. We, we want to make sure we have, we, we, we make sure the church has a prayer meeting every single month. But we don't mind if we miss it. You know, we don't want to be able to feel guilty if we miss it. You know, it's not that we don't want to hold on to the truth. Of course we want to hold on to the truth. That's why we came to Chesson City Evangelical Church. But, you know, I haven't strived harder to know that truth more for myself this year. I'm just trusting that the guy at the front has done enough study to know it for me. He knows it, and he'll tell me what I need to know. Now, I'm not saying that's you. But isn't that, if you're anything like me, there's a part of you that just wants church to be like that. We want it to be true, but not too true. We want it to be comfortable. We want it to be log on. If you're anything like me, that's something I wrestle with day in, day out. We want comfortable churches. But the thing about a Largon church is Jesus is not in it. Isn't that a shock in this passage? Jesus says in verse 20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens it, I will come in and eat with them and that person, they will eat with me. That's a wonderful evangelical passage. We use it evangelically all the time. But we use it wrongly because Jesus is saying to a people who are meeting in church, I'm not in the meeting. You've locked me out of the door. I'm outside. Now think of that for a second. You all rushed into church this morning. Imagine you all rushed, rushed into church, then we locked the door behind us, and we left Jesus on the outside of it. How shocking is that? But that's the picture that's being painted here. He's saying, look, if, if you want a church like that, if you want a log on church, I won't be inside it. And in fact, to take it even further, he says, I, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. What does Jesus do to log on churches if they don't repent? He spits them out of his mouth. You can't get more graphic imagery than that, can you? That's what he does. If, if I molded a church around my desires, that's what Jesus would do to me. 
Isn't that shocking? We may want a church like that, but it will kill us. So, good churches can lose the gospel quickly and log on Christianity can kill churches. But how did Laodicea get that way? How did they get that way? How did they end up log on? Well, the last point is because temporary comforts blind us to eternal realities. The comforts of this world blind us to eternity. And that's what's happened. Look at verse 17. You say, I am rich and I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The church in Odyssey had everything they wanted. They had the, the, the fancy new Japanese imported car. They had all the gadgets they wanted. They had the fine wine and dining. They had all that stuff, right? And they think, we've got everything we need. Thank you. And Jesus says, you don't realize how pitifully naked and destitute you are spiritually. You can have everything in the world and be poor. And I think it was, it, it was a message by David Wilkerson, who some of you may know, crossing the switchblade guy. In 2004, he preached in Stockholm, um, and he didn't tell, say the message that he wanted to share. He, he, he felt the Lord tell him to preach something else, and he preached from Amos chapter 3. Um, and he basically nailed this in, in, in Swedish churches' minds. And there were just a couple of things in that message that really stood out to me. Um, one of the things was, firstly, that he was talking about my my parents' generation. He was talking about the, the generation of my, uh, my in-laws, and he was talking about how um, in the 70s there were, there were passionate young people for Jesus in Sweden when he went and he preached there. People wanted to go off and take the gospel to the nations. He comes back in 2004 and they're all gone. They've all left the church. And his diagnosis was this, says, look, you, you had them all, God gave them all to you, and they, they said we want to take the gospel to the nations, and you said, if you do that, you'll be poor. Why don't you Buy a house, get a job, settle down, get a mortgage, get married, have kids. And once you've got all those things, in 10, 15, 20 years' time, and you still want to go on mission, go on mission. Then you'll have a better security for that type of life. And of course, they gathered all they wanted, and they didn't want to go. You know... The thing is, isn't that, isn't that so, doesn't it sound so reasonable? That's the danger of that. It sounds so reasonable, doesn't it? Look, look just, just, I mean, if I could just buy a house, if I could just settle down, if I could just pay off my mortgage, I'd have so much more free time. I could do so much more for Jesus with all that. If I could just sort my mortgage out and all those sort of things. Like, if I do that now, if I focus on that now, then maybe later in life I'll have time for some of that other stuff. It sounds so reasonable. But it really isn't reasonable at all when you take Jesus' words into account. You know, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's hard, for some, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus says it's easier to stuff a camel 
through the eye of a needle to stuff it through that and for it to come out alive at the other end than for someone who is rich in worldly terms to become a Christian. Isn't that, that's devastating, isn't it? That, that's, but by God's grace, that's us. Some of the richest people in the world sitting in this room. And by God's grace, he's, he's brought us through the eye of the needle. But it shouldn't surprise us that holding on to worldly wealth will blind us to eternal realities. We, we, we won't see that we're spiritually poor. We may gather enough things in, life, in this life to eventually say, I'm rich, I've acquired everything, I don't need anything. Comfortable, I'm well off. But the danger is we'll be spiritually poor, blind, naked, and wretched. So what should we do instead? Well, look at verse 21. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. Just as I was victorious when I sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus says, get your head on straight. Look at, look at reality as it truly is. Don't be blinded by the mirages of this world. You, you, you're living a dream now. But one day you're going to wake up. Reality will, 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 will come like a, like a thief in the night. Get that perspective now. There's a throne. and I'm sitting on it and you can sit on it forever with me. If you want to know what that throne looks like, read on in chapter 4. So the door's open and you get to see it and, and Jesus is inviting us to be a part of that forever. This is just the dream. This is just a mirage. That's reality. How can I put this into perspective? I, I've done this before at church. I did it at the men's breakfast, but it's such a powerful illustration. I want to do it again today. I'm going to pull this rope out here. All right. Here we have a rope. This is your life. Okay? This rope doesn't just start here and go, end up in the cupboard. It goes on forever. It goes on around the world. It goes off down the galaxies. It goes off to, you know, to, to the furthest reaches of space. And it just goes on and on and on. It's an eternal piece of rope. Okay? And this represents your life. This re represents us. This is our time on earth. And there's all this... And Jesus says, look, get things in perspective. Live for this. Don't waste, your, don't waste eternity on this. Think about how much of us are scrimping and saving so that we have a really comfortable end of our life here in retirement. And we think this is what it's all about. What if you're not a Christian today, what I'm saying sounds like insanity. It really does. But if this is true, it's absolute sanity. It's true. It's real. This is the only sanity in the world. Now you've heard it said you can't take anything with you to the next world and that's, and it's, that's true, absolutely. You can't take your car, you can't take your house, you can't take any of your stuff. But, it's, but there, it isn't true that we can't affect the next world. Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven. Don't store up treasures for your retirement. Store up treasures in heaven. Where they can't be stolen, taken away, and, and they're given you forever. I believe there are rewards that God gives his people that, that go on forever and ever and ever in eternity. There are things you can, that you can do now that will affect them. 
But let me ask you, you, if you've become a Christian in the past, I don't know, 10 years, could you please put your hands up? Brave, please do that, 10 years. You guys are going to be in glory with me. We as a church get to take you to heaven with us. That's true. We can invest in treasures in heaven and we can invest in souls of people. Not in our retirement, not in bigger houses and flashier cars, but in souls, in our children, that they would be in heaven with us. Now, just, just let me ask you a question. This is a tough question if you're a parent. You know, it's a tough question, but it might help us to see what's going on in our hearts. When you imagine your children grow up, they go off to university. Now, what would make you prouder? What would make you happier? That your child goes off and studies for seven years at university, becomes a medical doctor, and becomes one of the greatest surgeons in the country, but he doesn't love Jesus. Or he goes off to university, spends all this time doing mission, flunks out of, flunks out of his degree, comes back, ends up working at McDonald's the rest of his life, but in the evenings, he tells people about Jesus. Never looks like anything in the world. Who would you be most proud to have as your son? What would you want most for your children? It's a really telling question, isn't it? Because I tell you, there's only one right answer to that question. If this is true. And I believe there are going to be many Swedish Christians in heaven who will regret how they wasted their time on earth. And let's that not be us. So, good churches can lose the gospel quickly. Logom Christianity can kill churches, it can kill our faith. And temporary comforts can blind us to eternal realities. But don't lose hope. If you've been challenged by anything I've said this morning, listen to these words from Jesus. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, I will eat with that person and they with me. He's standing at the door and he's knocking. Now I, I don't believe what I've described of, the, of um, Largham Church is, is, is us, I don't believe that. But I do believe maybe there are individuals here today who feel that that's becoming more true of them. If that's you today, I want to say Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking. He, he knows the, where the drift of your heart is heading. And I just want to say to you, he's knocking at your heart, the heart, the heart of your life, and you say, let me in. Let me back in. And you could do that this morning. You can repent and you can become wholehearted for Jesus again. Or maybe I've said some stuff and you're not a Christian, you've never trusted in Jesus before, and you're saying, I believe in eternity, and I want to make sure I've got eternal life in the Son, in Jesus, and not eternal destruction. And if that's you, you can know Jesus today. He gave up all the riches of heaven to die on a cross to save you. Let me encourage you, come to know Jesus today. That puts all the stuff we've been talking about this morning into perspective. Now, just in a little while, we're going to sing a song together. 
Um, and, it's the, and the song will be, this is the last song we'll sing today, Let Your Kingdom Come. And I love this song. This is the first song. I'd never heard it before I came to this church. It was the first song we sung at the, at the, at the meeting where I was interviewed here. So it was one of the first songs I ever sung with you. Let me just read a couple of verses, the, the, the first verse in chorus to you. Your glorious cause, O God, engages our hearts. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. We ask not for ourselves, but for your renown. The cross has saved us, so we pray your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done so that everyone might know your name. Let your song be heard everywhere on earth till your sovereign work on earth is done. Let your kingdom come. You know, when I heard us sing that song seven years ago, I wanted to be a part of this church. I wanted to be a part of a church that sings that. I want this church to sing that song forever until the Lord comes. And I want, I, I want, I, I want, to, I want to sing this song forever until the Lord comes. And I want you to hold myself and my wife and my family to account if you see us drifting into Logon, that you will call us back to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you saved us. We thank you that eternity is real and we've got a throne in heaven that we to look forward to if we're trusting in Jesus. Lord, forgive us when we're so blinded by the comforts of this world, the stuff that we can gather for just a few short years to the reality of, 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 of your glory that you invite us to. Would you please do a work in us that is so vibrant that we would never again turn to the things of this world. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who has not trusted in you, Lord, would you please grab hold of their hearts fully? Would they turn to Jesus for, for rescue? Would they know what it means to be, to be a Christian? And for those of us that, are, that feel the temptation, we, we feel that largom tendency grabbing hold of us every day, Lord Jesus, we, we pray that you would cling onto us, that you, by the power of your grace, would would snatch us from the fire and you would give us that burning desire for Jesus again. That we would not be lukewarm, but we would be burning with passion for Jesus and the lost. Lord, work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.